There was this man who robbed a gas station in Augusto, Maine. This happened in the year 2000. And to do this robbery, he basically just dug out an old family firearm that he had at his house, dusted it off, took that into the gas station, and he stole $120. As he was walking out of the station, an off-duty cop happened to be walking in at that same time. Some really bad luck right there. The cop immediately caught and arrested him. Now, upon confiscation, the police found out that this gun that the man was holding was a Civil War pistol. It was worth about $23,000. And yet, (laughs) he had no idea what he had in his hands whenever he walked into that gas station, ends up going to prison for stealing $120. He had no idea he had something worth tens of thousands of dollars already in his possession. Well, we're going to take a look at what we already have today. I don't know when you're listening to this. Right now, it's Thanksgiving. Actually, Thanksgiving, at the time you listen to this, it was a few days ago. It just passed. But it was supposed to be a time to be thankful. But guys, I get it. Life is hard right now. Prices are going up at the store. Bills are going up. Disney Plus is going up. We're living paycheck to paycheck and by God's grace. But it never feels like we have enough. But do we have enough? Maybe we need to do what that guy in Augusto should have done before he stole $120. We need to stop and take inventory. And you're going to find out how to do that today on the Cross References Podcast. Welcome to the Cross References Podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. Whether you're a new Christian or a veteran Bible reader, my goal is that God's Word will make more sense to you after every episode. My name is Luke Taylor, and my favorite holiday is Thanksgiving. Back when I served at a church as as a pastor on staff, I preached just about every Thanksgiving service for the church. The pastor always went on vacation, or he went to go see his family for that week. And so I was pretty much always filling in on Thanksgiving uh, Sunday. And so it was my favorite sermon to preach all year, to be quite honest, because gratitude is one of my favorite virtues or, or values. And so I'm a little sad, to be honest. It's been a little bit of a sad week for me because... I'm not serving anywhere as a pastor at the moment. I I don't know if I'll ever get to again. You know, if it's not God's will, then that's okay. But I I really was a little sad this week because I don't get to preach my favorite sermon. I hate to let Thanksgiving go by without sharing a message about Thanksgiving. And so I'm going to try that here. All right. If you tuned in, you get to be my audience today. And the text for today's Bible study is going to be 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. And I'm not going to read it all. This is actually a pretty familiar story. So actually what I'm going to do, I'll pull it up on Bible Gateway. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not going to read every verse, but I'll just pick and choose a few of them here. It starts in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle. David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. So this whole story starts because David did not go off to war with the men. Instead, he stayed home, and he's just hanging around in Jerusalem. He's strolling around on the rooftop, and he happens to look over, and he sees a woman bathing. And 
Her name was Bathsheba. I always felt like that was some kind of pun or something, but I don't know. I don't know if it's like that in the original languages too. But Bathsheba taking a bath over there on the rooftop and David looked over at her and he said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? So David knew exactly who she was, thought she looked pretty hot, and he invited her over. You know, when it says she was beautiful, it's implying here he was gawking at her. He was lusting after her. He didn't just look away immediately because he saw this woman over here. No, he had a servant get her and bring her to his room. And so I, w- I want to make a comment here about David, just to kind of put the full context on his actions in doing this. David already had multiple wives to keep track of. You know, I don't, people don't emphasize this a lot about some of the guys in the Old Testament. Some of them had multiple wives. For David, this was definitely sinful. It goes against Deuteronomy 17, where it told kings, you are not to multiply your wives. It goes against the principle in Genesis 1 and 2 about a man will take one wife. And so, you know, it's safe to say David is not a guy who is hurting for female companionship. All right. And yet, I got to say, I don't even understand the multiple wives thing. I mean, I love my wife, but it's like, one is enough. You know what I mean? Like, I just try to imagine how this was supposed to work back in those days, having two or three women all married to the same guy. Just imagine the cat fights that those women must have gotten into. I don't see how that sounds appealing at all. Uh, My wife will sometimes get jealous of me, or she used to anyway, of me talking to Siri, you know, Siri on the phone. Um. She I, she wouldn't really get jealous. It was just the way that we'd play with each other. But um, she'd always act kind of jealous, you know, when I talked to, you know, uh, on the iPhones, they got Siri that that's your personal assistant and you can boss her around and all this. And Siri used to tell me when it was. Um, so every weekend when I worked for that church, it was my job to go over to the church in the in the wintertime and turn the heat on on Saturday nights. And so that way, the next morning, it was a little cozy inside the church when people would be coming in, it wouldn't be too cold. So I'd go over every Saturday night and Siri would remind me, Saturday nights, nine o'clock, go turn on the heat at the church. And one time my wife was away on a trip for a few days and, uh, you know, she got home and she was, she was play acting jealous that I was home with Siri that whole time all by ourselves. And so she grabs my phone and she says, hey, Siri, what did you and Luke do all weekend? And uh, Siri, being honest as she, as she is, she matter-of-factly says, turning up the heat. <laughs> so that, I had to explain that one to my wife afterwards. Okay, let me get back to what I was talking about. I've, got, I've gotten a little bit off track here. Um, let's talk. Okay, so David, David was turning up the heat with Bathsheba, and uh, we might say. And so this, this, was, this was wrong, all right? David has done wrong in many different ways in this story. One, by having multiple wives, okay? That was a sin in itself. Two, then going and lusting after another man's wife. And then he had her brought to him to sleep with him. And so this was breaking, we could say it was breaking the commandment about adultery. It was breaking the commandment about um, don't be jealous of another man's wife, I think is the 10th commandment. So he's breaking some commandments there, done a lot of wrong. Bathsheba did wrong too. She could have said no, so she was complicit in this. Bathsheba did wrong here by, by going to him. There's no indication in the story that she tried to refuse. It seems she was complicit in this. And so then Bathsheba turned out pregnant. And David was shocked. David was shocked at this point <laughs> to find out she was pregnant. It's like he forgot where babies came from. You know, we all saw it coming. 
because we've seen soap operas before, but David here is shocked. And so he needs to come up with some kind of plan to make Uriah think that he was the father of the child. So he has Uriah brought home from the battlefront, had him brought to David's palace. David says, hey, you've been such a good soldier, such a good guy. Why don't you take the night off? Go home to your wife. Uriah doesn't go for it. He sleeps on the ground of the palace. David's like, hey, man, just go home. Go see your wife. But Uriah's like, hey, none of the other guys get to see their wives. So why should I go home and visit mine? And so in this story, we see David's doing everything wrong. Uriah's doing everything right. And um, David gets frustrated. You know, he tried to do things the easy way to cover up his sin. But Uriah was not cooperating with it. And so, so then David sends Joab, the commander of his army, sends Joab a letter and basically tells Joab, hey, Joab, somebody always has to be there on the front line of the battle. That's always the guy who's like the first one to get killed whenever you're sending the men in to fight. And it's, you know, we got to put someone there. There's got to be someone there on the front line. Let's make it Uriah. And so that's what they do. And in the next battle, Uriah gets killed. And so Bathsheba mourns over this, and David has her brought to the palace. He marries Bathsheba. But David kind of seems to get away with it here. And so he's done wrong. Bathsheba's done wrong. Joab's done wrong. Uriah was the only person doing the right thing. And now he's dead. And so David is here waiting for the baby to be born. And during this time, a prophet named Nathan comes to David. Nathan, and so when I say he's a prophet, this was a true prophet. This wasn't like one of Ahab's prophets who just told him what he wanted to hear. Nathan's a true prophet. David will listen to Nathan. And Nathan comes to David and tells him a little story. He came to him and said, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had many, very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing, nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and he, he grew with him and with his children. And it used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who would come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who would come to him. It says, then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. This is just a story. Nathan's just telling a little story. Got one guy who just has his one precious little lamb. You have this other guy who's rich, has bunches of lambs. and. When the rich man wants to entertain a guest, he doesn't slaughter one of his lambs. He goes and takes the poor man's one and only lamb. And so it says, David, just hearing this story, David gets mad about it. I get mad about it. You know, hearing this, I don't like, I know it's just fake. I know it's just a made up story. I don't even like this story. It makes me mad. Rich guy takes the poor guy's only sheep and makes lamb chops out of it. I'm ticked off just reading about this. David was ticked off too. Okay. So it says this. David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God, the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms. And I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would have add, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You've struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Okay, I kept reading there. I just got a little carried away with it. It's such a good story. 
God says, David, I would have given you, look at all that I gave you. I would have given you more. And yet you still had to go and take something that didn't belong to you. You took another man's wife. You are the man. Okay, and I don't mean like this in the celebratory, you're the man. It's not like that. Okay, not like when you're talking to Caitlyn Jenner, you're a man. It's not that. It's talking about you are the man in this story, David. This you you are the rich man and you took the poor man's lamb, except in this case, it was his wife. And to make it even worse, David killed the guy, too. So David's worse than the man, but he was the man of the story. And so he God says, you despised me because you didn't appreciate all the good things that I had given you. You just wanted more. But that but God's perspective for David was that what David already had was enough. And that was God's message to David in this story. And I'm going to take this today as God's message to us. What you have is enough. We are all geared, especially as Americans. If you're an American like me, I get get listeners from all over the world, which is kind of neat. I have a lot of listeners in Africa. That's always cool to hear from them. But I'm going to speak especially to us Americans. It's like we're always wanting more. We're always wanting to have our desires satisfied, and we're always wanting them satisfied right this minute. Okay, we we're just we are in the microwave society. I heard a pastor say one time, "We're in a microwave society serving a crockpot God." You know, God likes to let things cook. He likes to let things take their time. That's not really my message today, but you know, we're in the microwave society. We want we want it now. We want to pop it in that microwave and have it in thirty seconds and be ready to eat it. And that is just not the way life is supposed to work. We're supposed to learn to be patient and satisfied with what we have in the current moment. Instead, we're always thinking about what we could get our hands on next. So that's not a biblical mindset. It might be a natural human mindset, but it's not the way God wants us to think about things. He wants us to be content. God is in control of what blessings he sends our way. And if there's a blessing that we need, I can guarantee you he has not forgotten to send it it to us. If he has not sent it to us yet, it's because we actually don't need it. So what we need to be satisfied about are two things. We need to be satisfied with what we have, and we need to be satisfied with what we don't. Let me tell you about my dog, Marty. I think I'll probably put a picture of my dog. He's a pug. I'll put a picture of him, uh, because I don't think I've really talked about him on the podcast before, but I have a pug named Marty. I'll put a picture of him on the Facebook and, I mean, the YouTube portion of this. So you can see Marty if you're on YouTube, but um, <laughs> maybe I think I can drop it in on now, now like Apple Podcasts lets you put an image in too. So I'll try to stick Marty on that as well. So everyone can see Marty today. Marty's my adorable pug. Once in a while, I would take Marty on a walk. And I always love to ask this question. How long does Marty think his leash is? How long does Marty think that his leash is? The answer to that, is one inch too short. (laughs) Whenever I take Marty on a walk, he is always at the extent of his leash. He is always trying to get just a little bit further than what he can reach at the present moment. He's not content with anything within the range of his leash. He is always going for that, you know, that leaf, that stick that's just a little bit out of reach. He needs to go over there and smell it. And so he's always yanking against the leash pulling me along with, you know, wherever he's trying to go. Marty always thinks his leash is just a little bit too short. Doesn't matter if it's six feet long, if it's 10 feet long, doesn't matter. He always wants to smell that leaf 
that's just an inch or two further away. And you know what Marty is a lot like? He's a lot like us. <laughs> we all have that tendency to want just a little bit more than what we have. One of my favorite quotes is from the richest man in the world a hundred years ago. His name was John D. Rockefeller. And somebody asked him one time, how much money is enough money? And his answer was just a little bit more. That's from the richest man in the world at one time. How much money is enough money? Just a little bit more. That is human nature. That is human nature. But is that what God agrees with? No, God says what you have is enough. Think with me for a moment. Just imagine you went to a beautiful wedding, okay? And the groom looks immaculate and the decorations are gorgeous and even the guests all are dressed snazzy. And then the bride walks in and she comes down the stairs. She walks down the aisle. She looks beautiful. But then as she passes by, you notice a big black splotch on the back of her dress. Looking like she accidentally leaned against some greasy pole right before she came to walk the aisle. What is everyone going to be looking at at this wedding? What is everyone going to be talking about at the reception? What is everybody going to remember about this wedding 10 years from now? We both know it is going to be that splotch. That's how life is. All we ever think about are the black spots. We think about those, those things that we don't have. We don't think about all the things that look good, all the things that look beautiful, all the things that are already going right. We just want to focus on those black spots, those things that make us unhappy, those things that could be better, those things that aren't the way we wanted them. That is how we think as human beings. That's materialism. We just think about what we don't have. And that goes against what God wants for our lives because God says what you have is enough. And maybe you're saying, wait a minute, I'm no John D. Rockefeller. I'm not some rich person. Materialism can affect anybody. Yeah, there was this Christian financial consultant. His name was Ron Blue. And he visited some missions projects that he was funding. Uh, in, this was in Africa, actually. So, so here's an illustration for my, for my friends in Africa. Um, I, you know, the people I'm, who listen to me in Africa, they might not live in a, in a poverty-stricken stricken location like this. But Ron Blue is visiting people who literally lived in huts. They didn't have electricity, none of the things that we're used to as Americans. And so um, he asked a missionary there. He said, the, the, this Ron Blue, he said, what is the biggest barrier among these people that keeps you from reaching them with the gospel? And the missionary said to him, materialism. And Ron Blue says, materialism? Wait a minute. He's looking all around. All he sees is poverty, people living with, with no plumbing. And he's like, what do you mean materialism here? The missionary explained. If a man has a manure hut, he wants a mud hut. And if he has a mud hut, then he just wants a stone hut. And if his hut has a thatched roof, he wants a tin roof. And if he has one cow, he wants two cows. If he has one wife, he wants two wives. And so materialism is something that can affect anybody. doesn't matter how rich you are. doesn't matter how poor you are. It could If you have a million dollars in the bank or $10 in the bank, Materialism is not about how much you have. It's about how much you want. Materialism is about how much you want. And so it can affect any of us. And what, what's really deceptive is that our enemy, the devil, he gets us thinking that what we want is something that we need, something that we deserve. But that comes from the devil. What God says is that what you have is enough. 
What you have is enough. I once memorized the opening of the book, Second Peter. Uh, I was trying to memorize the whole book, and I kind of, I think I gave up after 13 or so verses. I don't know if I can remember what I did memorize, but I always remember verse 3. Okay, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need. Let me stop there. God, in his divine power, has given us everything that I need. He's given me everything I need. Do I agree with that? Do you agree with that? Do we say, or do we try to tell God, hey, God, hey, listen, I need X, Y, and Z. I, yeah, thanks for what you gave me, but I need this and I need that. Is that what our prayers sound like? Well, see, what God's opinion is, is that he's already provided everything you need. And what you have right now, what you have is enough. And I believe someday, someday far off when we get into the other, maybe not so far off, but when we get to the other side of eternity, when we get to heaven, we are going to thank God for all the prayers that he did not answer. There are things that we've asked for that would have been bad for us. Things God had to say no to to because he loves us. We're going to thank God for all the prayers he didn't answer. I've heard people, (laughs) that people will say this at every high school reunion that they go to. So I, I I was homeschooled, so I guess I don't get to have that experience. But when people go to high school reunions, oh my goodness, I'm so glad I didn't end up with him or end up with her. <laughs> and so, hey, someday we're going to have a lot of prayers that God in his grace and in his love and in his mercy turned us down on. So let me give you three ways to be thankful today, even if you don't feel like it. Okay, because I don't know what your attitude was whenever you turned this podcast on, but Thankfulness is a feeling. And if you don't feel like it, you need to start feeling like it. Okay, so I'm going to give you three ways to be thankful, even if you don't feel like it. And guess what? They all start with R, because I'm just adorable like that. Okay, (laughs) so number one, remember your blessings. Okay, remember your blessings is number one. It's like that song, count your blessings, name them one by one. Go look that up. I'm not going to sing it here because I don't have, as you just heard, I don't have the singing voice. (laughs) That's not one of my blessings. (laughs) Count your blessings, okay? And uh, and go look up that song if you haven't heard it before. But count your blessings, and start with the roof over your head. There you go. If you can't think of something to be thankful for today, start with that. If you have a roof over your head, and just go on down from there. Take all your possessions, every good thing that you own, okay? Take it out into a field, draw a circle around it, and I want you to imagine this. God says. Be happy with everything inside that circle. According to what we read earlier, if you can't be happy with that, if you can't be happy with what God has already given you, it is despising God. It's an attitude of despising God. Be happy with what he's given you, because what he's given you is enough. And so number two today, repent of ingratitude. I think we've all despised God before by wanting or taking or coveting something that he didn't give us. Repent of the ingratitude in your life. That's what David did. 2 Samuel 12, verse 13, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. I always get get, so thrown by that. We had this whole big story. David's been basically trying to pretend he didn't do this thing for weeks, months, I don't know how long trying to just pretend it didn't happen, thinking he got away with it, trying to just move on with his life. But I bet the guilt was eating at him. And finally, Nathan comes to confront him. 
and tells him this story, says, you are the man. And David replies, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. What? After all that, it's, is that simple? <laughs> it's as simple as that? I read it. I'm like, wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute, God. What about all the things that David did? Okay, because I was thinking, I was thinking about this last week. I probably would have given up on David. I would have written him off. I would have told him, hey, man, you went too far. You crossed the line. I'm washing my hands of you. If I were God, I don't see giving David another chance after this. Like, I'd already been pretty good to him. And he already had a chance to own up to it for months. But then instead, he just tried to cover it up. He got Uriah killed. He got a man killed. I would have given up on David, guys. I would have given up on David. I would have given up on Peter. I would have given up on Elijah when he crawled in that cave. I would have given up on Gideon. I would have given up on Doubting Thomas. And I would have given up on Luke. And I'm not even talking about Luke in the Bible. I'm talking about Luke me. If I were God, I would have given up on me a long time ago. Thankfully, I am not God. (laughs) You should be very glad about that. Be glad that I am not God. Because God is so much more loving and patient than I am. God doesn't give up on people when I would give up on people, when I want to write them off, when I want to stop loving them. God's grace is so great, he doesn't do that. He doesn't just look at what you've done, even if you've done some bad stuff, even if you've been terrible, even if you maybe just maybe just been ungrateful, maybe done a lot more than that. God's grace is so great that he doesn't just look at what you've done, he will look at what you can do if you will turn your future over to him. And he's not going to give up on you if he still has a potential and a purpose for your life. And what Jesus does, he, he steps into your mess and he says, give me the will. Let me turn this car around. If you let me be the driver, I will walk with you through this. He doesn't give up. I would have given up on Lazarus. Not that Lazarus did anything wrong, you know, but, but he was dead. Like, I, I probably would have given up on Lazarus. I would have given up on the idea that God's going to do anything with Lazarus's life by the point that he's been in the grave for a few days, right? I would have moved on. But that's not what Jesus did. He stepped into the situation and he took a dead man and he gave him life. Our God brings the dead to life and makes all things new. And if you're not thankful for that today, you need to repent of ingratitude. Quit, quit judging David. God, God quit judging David. Why am I still judging David? Why are you still judging David? Nathan said, the Lord has taken away your sin. God forgave David. And you know what? Through this experience, David learned a very powerful lesson that if you will, if you will put all that stuff aside and be like, okay, well, God is more gracious and more loving than I can even imagine. If you'll put all that, if you'll accept all that and agree with all that, you can learn this lesson today too. Point number three is recognize God's grace. Because later on in the chapter, not very, right after this, one of David's children, the one that David, that, that, that came from Bathsheba, that came from this affair, that child is born sick. And David is really, really distraught about it at first. He's very upset. He's fasting. He's praying. He lays around on the floor all day, crying out to God, don't let this child die. Don't let this child die. And then 
the child dies. But then whenever the child does die, something so strange happens. David, like, snaps out of his funk. He, he just gets, all of a sudden, he goes back to eating, goes back to sleeping, goes back to worshiping God. And the servants are all confused. They're like, wait, wait a minute. You know, before he was all stressed out and he's all, you know, he's, he's fasting and praying and, and crying about it. And then now that the child has died, he's just, he's just going on with his normal life. And so the servants really can't make heads or tails of it. So they go to him and they say, why? What's going on here? And David said, because I know that I will see my child again in heaven. But I have learned to be content with what God has given me by his grace. And I've learned to be content with what God has not given me by his grace. So David learned the lesson. He finally learned to be satisfied with what he had and satisfied with what he didn't have. Everything we have is by God's grace. And everything that we don't have is by God's grace. And what we have is enough. Thanks for listening to the Cross References Podcast. This has been Luke Taylor, and I hope the Bible makes more sense to you after this episode. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving, and I hope that you found a reason today to be thankful, even if you didn't feel like it before. <laughs>